Hey everyone, it's Flores. I wanted to give a brief setup to this episode. We recorded this episode last Tuesday, March 10th, before the escalation of the COVID-19 virus throughout the United States. And I wanted to bring that up so it didn't seem insensitive to the current climate of what's going on when you're listening to this episode. We did bring it up a few times in the episode and kind of talked about the reactions um, with the public and that sort of thing. So we didn't want to seem insensitive and, and kind of step on anyone's toes that are dealing with this or having any um, issues with it. But that being said, um, we believe that you shouldn't be living in fear or anxiety during this time, but rather taking the necessary precautions to keep your community, friends and family, and yourself safe um, at this time. Um, fear and anxiety do, don't do anything good for you, you know, whether it's mentally or physically. It really can just wear you down and it's not something that I believe you should you should live with in your life. So in these uncertain times, just try to keep your focus ahead. Um, hopefully this positive conversation that we have um, this week on the show will help be a bright spot amongst all of this chaos. Um, getting comfortable with discomfort is going to ring truer for us in the next few weeks more than um, we, we have had to deal with. And I think if we continue to embrace it and just find ways to be a better human, um, serving our community um, giving to those who are in need and just being that support system. I think we'll, we'll see this turn out for much better than we had anticipated. Um, and you know, if anything, bring us together. Um, someone posted, or our friend Ann actually posted or Annie posted on uh, social media, you know, the social distancing can actually be like family, you know, strengthening. And I think that can be true with our, our family, friends and community as well. So, you know, practice that social distance, keep that space to try to reduce the, the spread of this situation and make sure you guys stay safe out there. But uh, thanks for this listening to this brief intro. Um, but let's get to the show. Hit it. Welcome to Run With Purpose. This is episode number 29. For those of you that are new to the show, my name is Flores, and I'm so very glad that you found this podcast. Would love if you subscribe to it. Uh, we're everywhere you can find podcasts, because obviously you're listening to it, so you know how to find podcasts. And you can always reach out to me on all the socials at flores.run, assuming that Facebook and Instagram allow you to continue to message me. So this week we have a, uh, a very special guest. I've been trying to get Laura on the show for a while. We've had some um, back and forth of dates worked and dates didn't work and trying to just get everyone aligned to it. But Laura and I had actually connected on uh, Facebook last fall-ish. Um, she had found my video from the Big Sur Marathon um, and kind of told me a little bit about this journey she's going on, how she's going to be doing um, the race out in Big Sur this upcoming April um, with her husband. It's going to be a great time for them. It's his first marathon. We'll get into that stuff later. So this this episode's a little different because even though she is a runner and we'll, we, we'll, we will be talking about running things, I think this episode, and Laura, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is probably going to be more about the the running your life with purpose. Would you say that's fair? Oh. And I think I just lost you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you now. You went in and out for a second there. 
Oh, sorry. Um, how about now? Is it better? Yeah, you're good now. Okay, cool. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. Um, so what I was saying is that, uh, yes, I am a runner, but, uh, for a couple years of running, um, I think once I reached the marathon level, um, I was ready to take on this other project that's kind of just changed my life in a million different ways. Yeah. Understood that. So first off, I didn't say it, but thank you so much, Laura, for being on the show. I'm glad we were able to, to sync this time up. Oh, thank you for having me. I've been really excited to talk to you. Yeah, it's been it's been a hot minute. We said right right when we got on the line, she was like, "Oh, it's nice to hear your voice." And I'm like, "Oh shit, we haven't talked, and it's been however long. We've just been texting <laughs> back and forth." But uh, tell the people a little bit about you, maybe a little bit of your background, and I mean, maybe maybe just a high level about this journey that we're talking about. Um, sure. Okay. So oh, I probably should preface it by, by explaining a little bit about how I became a runner. Um, so I'm 41 and I actually became a runner at 35. I never thought I was going to do anything like that. Um, I actually had just switched jobs and the people at my new job all ran marathons instead of going to happy hour. And I thought, well, okay, well, the only way I'm going to make friends here is if I learn how to do that. <laughs> um, so I got invited to like a running party and I was like, I just, you know, I just want to do mediocre. Like <laughs> I just don't want to humiliate myself. Right. So I started training every day for this 5k. Um, and then after a little while, it, like something kind of clicked in me and, you know, obviously this is such a stereotypical runner story, but uh, I just really loved it. Um, I, I loved the time to decompress after work. Um, and then, you know, I, I actually got engaged uh, shortly after that. And, and just the, it was such incredible therapy to be out there training for half marathons. And then I ran the New York marathon, uh, I think about like seven months before my wedding. It was like the same month of my bridal shower. Nice. And, and, you know, that was the first time I did something kind of crazy. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've done other crazy things in my life, but, but I remember people just kind of being like, Whoa, <laughs> like, you sure you want to do that? But, um, you know, my, my reasoning for it was I had become an activist around the same time. Um, and I noticed that a lot of runners, uh, raised funds for charity and, um, my activism was actually, um, distracted driving, uh, because when I was 25, my dad was, um, killed by a distracted driver. We didn't, you know, we didn't really know what it was back then. It, she was making a phone call, uh, drove through red light. Um, I didn't even make the connection until 10 years later about like what that was. Like I, I was still doing it myself. Cause I, I thought, well, okay, well, it's just this fluke thing that happened. And I guess my family is just like unlucky and my dad's unlucky. Um, but once I figured out what it was, which by the way, happened because of my job, like I was just sitting there editing articles. I was a magazine editor and, uh, someone had written an article about distracted driving. So I really felt like, okay, well, clearly I was fated to learn what this thing is and, and I need to do something to help. So I started, uh, speaking publicly about it. Um, I started raising, I raised about $2,000 in the New York marathon for a group called End Distracted Driving. Um, and essentially I just, I started meeting a lot of people who had lost someone this way. Um, a lot of time it was, it was parents, um, who had lost children. And I think that was the beginning of the big shift for me from, um, you know, I don't want to say I'm not a journalist anymore because I am, but I started to kind of include activism and more creative writing in the kind of writing that I did. And, and I just started having this very strong feeling that somebody had to write this story 
um, like someone who, who was a writer right. because there were just so many, I mean, I was kind of helping people write their stories. Um, but, but I just feel like there needed to be a bigger one and, and I didn't know how to do it because first of all, I didn't want to bum people out. Um, cause that's just not how my dad was. He was like the funniest person I've ever met. Um, secondly, I felt like it couldn't be lecturing. Like I felt like it couldn't be something where I'm telling people not to do this and here's why. And, you know, don't you care that I lost someone like, you know, gen- generally people don't feel that way unless it's someone they're connected to. Mm-hmm. I just thought it needed to be a story that was interesting in its own right. So, uh, you know, essentially I convinced the editor at good housekeeping where I was working to do a big feature story on distracted driving then I got married, which I felt like kind of triumphant about the fact that, you know, okay, so I'm walking down the aisle without my dad, but maybe I'm preventing another woman from having to experience that. Um, and then the next year, about six months later, all of a sudden this like incredible thing happened where my brother found this bucket list that my dad wrote, um, you know, like 38 years prior when I was a baby and when, when it appeared, we just, my husband and I were like, man, this is it. <laughs> like, this is the story. And I think your dad might be kind of helping you out <laughs> by right. leaving this. Cause it, it was like 60 different things. He had only checked off five of them. And, you know, it, it was this amazing moment where we, I was thinking it and my husband said out loud, like, this is your book. Um, and I, and I just like saw my dad's face in the back of my head, basically like smiling and nodding. And I was kind of like, Whoa, what? Okay. What was that? <laughs> like, you know, here we are 13 years after he died. I'd never, you know, I, I had the typical stuff that happens. Like you hear a song or something. Um, nothing ever like that, nothing vivid like that. So it's sort of like, how could I say no, um, to going on this journey? Right. So so yeah, I gave myself a deadline of December 31st, 2020, because the first list item said, I hope to live until the year 2020. I thought that's when it was supposed to die. So that's when it will die. That's That's, that's so good. <clears throat> Cause I've been following along on your, on the, the Facebook page and the, the Instagram and on the website, I try to try to read when, when I remember to, cause I just forget to read sometimes, but it's just seeing you go seeing the background of it, obviously just meeting you, you know, virtually, you know, but six months ago, give or take, and trying to just play this catch up game on this journey you've been going on, but seeing just in the last, really the last few months, just the amount of extra things that you've done. Like, I think it's been, I maybe, I don't know if it's just because you've been more vocal about it, I guess on social media, but it's definitely seemed like you've been exponentially like just going after shit. Um, yeah, well, something, something kind of changed a little bit this year. I I think it was because, uh, you know, I should say very, very early on, I had extreme beginner's luck, um, which I, I kind of attributed to the energy I was bringing to it. So I should add, you know, I didn't have like a perfect relationship with my dad. No, I don't think anybody does. Um, I, I still had some things that I needed to get closure on Mm -hmm. with him okay, I'm a little freaked out because my bedroom door is opening by itself right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's just the wind. <laughs> yeah. We're not having supernatural kind of things happen on the podcast, I don't think. I mean, I would not put it, I would not put it past <laughs> this experience. Um, anyway, uh, 
I needed an opportunity to, uh, to face some of that stuff. I, I didn't really realize it. I didn't realize I was st- still sort of like, you know, hanging on to it. You know, and it was some stuff that kind of made me during my life, not always talk about him that much. Um, you know, my parents divorced when I was six. So he was always sort of like separate from, uh, my life at home with my mom and my brother and my stepdad. So, uh, when he died, it was, it was kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say it was easy for people to do this, but it became this thing where it was like, well, that's the thing we don't talk about. Gotcha. You know, like this tragic event in our family and, you know, we couldn't do anything about it. That's just the unpredictability of life. And, uh, you know, let's, 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 you know, let's everybody heal the way they need to heal. And it's kind of scary to talk about something like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I, there was something in me that desperately needed to deal with this and just getting married really triggered it for me. So to be out there and, you know, as, as what ended up happening was the editor who had greenlit the, um, distracted driving feature, she saw my blog and she's like, well, no, this is the story. Um, we need, we need your story. So that was pretty shocking, but, you know, conveniently checked off the list item of get my picture in a national magazine. <laughs> um, two birds, one I, stone. What's that? I said two birds, one stone. Exactly. Um, so I, I'm sure that's not the way he intended it to happen initially, but, um, you know, that led to all of this press. Um, I had inside edition interview me. I had CBS news interview me twice had like this eight minute live interview on Fox news in New York. And, you know, things kind of started rolling very quickly there. Um, and then I got an agent, um, and, and really the agent I got, like, it didn't make sense that I was getting this agent, but it was like, it was sort of like people were recognizing that it was an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And it very quickly, what that turned into was a situation where I started really doubting myself. Um, I started thinking like, Whoa, like, like, can I produce a book about this? Like, can I do all of these things? Um, this is a whole lot, like 54 items is a whole lot to take on in four years. It was sort of like, there's always a point where the excitement, I think it's a little bit like training for a marathon, right? There's always a point where the excitement dies down just a little and you realize like, what did I get myself into? You're like, (laughs) Like, holy shit. I'm actually going to go run 26 miles. You're like, wait, I didn't, I didn't think this through. Usually think that around like mile 15 (laughs) where you're like, you seriously tell me I have 10 more miles left of this shit. Yep. Yep. It was like that. And, And I think, um, you know, what I couldn't possibly have predicted when it started and, and what has really been, I think the most eye opening experience of all of it is how much help I was going to get. I mean, I don't know. My husband calls it list magic because sometimes things happen and we're just like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like how did this work out? Like nobody would have thought this impossible thing would have worked out. And, and on top of that, it's just been like almost, yeah, I think at this point, every family member has helped me, you know, and, and sometimes on a particular list item, sometimes just talking to me about different things. And it's been really fascinating just to learn about the things people are passionate about. Like there's always someone in my family or a friend or someone I know who knows how to do the thing I'm trying to do, whether that's grow a watermelon, like my cousin's a landscaper or whether that's, you know, surf in the Pacific ocean. My stepbrother was a surfer. Um, you know, my, my husband's best friend is a tennis coach and one of them was tennis. So there's, there's always like, 
there's always a, a very interesting connection that takes place with someone I love who, you know, um, who maybe sometimes didn't necessarily know how to fix it when my father was killed, but knows how to celebrate him. And, and that's been really, really cool because I mean, I, I know you did a podcast recently about legacy and that's really what it's become. It's become this man, just this incredible legacy for my dad, who really was a teacher. I mean, he was a writer and he was a salesman, but I mean, he was a teacher to me. It's funny. You bring that up in such a way that you said the, um, your family members or friends or someone was able to like, it was able to help connect dots to things. And I think it kind of goes like what you, what you were saying that your dad, um, was a teacher and things, but he, it seems like this, this is also bringing people together. It's letting people see kind of how the bigger part of community, um, how we all can play a piece in someone else's journey. If you will, obviously this is a list your dad made that, that he was hoping to complete, but in turn now it's something that you're completing, um, for him, for you, for, you know, for, for this experience for yourself. But it sounds like it's really just also helped greatly um, bring people together, you know, into a common goal kind of thing. And I think that's the whole sense of community. We deal with that with runners or deal with that as runners all the time that you're always trying to, you, you know, you're in the suck together kind of thing. And if you think about, you know, life as a running journey, you know, the, the, the life is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, if, you, if <laughs> yeah. you think about it in that kind of terms where it's like you, you have these people to kind of carry you through this situation. Again, everyone's going to deal with these circumstances their own way. Because I remember when you told me about your father, it was like heartbreaking for me. And I don't know what I would do um, in that in that kind of circumstance. And I mean, I think I have a relatively decent relationship with my, my father, but even then it's just like, how does that, I mean, I live in Ohio and I've lived in Ohio for shit. When did I move here? I was telling someone this today and it's crazy. I've been here for like 12 years almost. And I'm like, that's, I need to get out of here. This place is crazy, <laughs> but it's like, but all of my family lives in Florida and it's like, so I'm so disconnected. And it would be, be the same kind of thing as being that disconnected, but having the community of people around you to kind of drive you to that goal, whether they are directly a part of that or indirectly. I think that's super cool to see. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting to me, and it's not something I necessarily could have uh, could have expected or predicted. Um, you know, when I started this, I had this idea sort of in the back of my head of, you know, maybe if I do this really intentional thing, uh, if I'm sort of like being the change and demonstrating being intentional, that's going to have an effect on distracted driving because maybe what's happening is people are just like apathetic, right. Mm -hmm. Or, or bored or something. And, and if they can just, if they could just see somebody who was like living with intention, they'd be like, Oh, that's what I need to do. Um, but that's really shifted a lot for me because, somewhere along the way, I, I, I kind of just started, I started developing this idea of, you know what, like, this isn't about apathy. This isn't about, you know, one of the things a lot of that, um, activists like to talk about is arrogance or selfishness. Like, Oh, they just think they can do it all. Um, you know, with using the phone and also driving a car. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that either. I, I think we're so educated now about this. We know what it is. 
Um, we know there's science involved. It's not just like, oh, don't do that. That's wrong. It's, hey, there's actually some stuff happening to your brain when, when you're making a phone call that's affecting your vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, if we're educated, if we care about it, then why is it still happening? And my feeling honestly has been what you just said. It's been connection. It's been about we are generally pretty disconnected in in our culture right now. And, you know, when you, when you get into a culture like that, you're just craving it all the time Mm -hmm. without even realizing Mm -hmm. that you're craving it. And, and, you know, it's because, you know, if you study anthropology, like that's what makes humans tick. Like that's sitting around a fire telling stories. Like why are we listening to podcasts all the time? You know, like that's, that's what we want. So my feeling these days is if it's really hard for you to put your phone down, that's why you, you want that feeling of I belong and I'm okay. And this person liked my stuff. So, so I'm doing all right. And I'm seen, you know, somebody saw me today. Mm, yeah. So, so the, that's been like a really cool experience for me that as someone who never uses my phone while driving, except for GPS, which is considered to be um, fine for your brain. Um, but someone who doesn't engage in that someone who, you know, I do this thing every year where I've take three weeks away from my phone. Like I'm, I'm always kind of making efforts not to be on it very much. And my project in general just like keeps me away from it. Cause I'm pretty busy. Um, you know, so for someone who's taken this on and, and I don't, I don't tend to succumb to the phone addiction too much. I've had this amazing experience of real connection, like real face to face stuff with, you know, not just strengthening these relationships with people I love, but new friendships, you know, like, like meeting people I never thought I would meet. Um, honestly, like I have to walk around with my antenna out like all the time because who knows, like, who knows if that person I'm going to meet is going to be the person who helps me check off, you know, own a large house with our own land. I still don't know how I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> but like, you know, they might know somebody who knows somebody who's you like, Hey, know. come, come, let me give you my house. <laughs> right. there, there are people like that. But I mean, it's actually, it's kind of interesting though, because I'm noticing with this pandemic, you know, that's kind of making people act a little more connected with coronavirus. Like mm-hmm. that's what always happens when you're in crisis, right? Like after nine 11, um, you know, times like that, it's like all of a sudden people are being a little kinder to each other, but this is kind of interesting because it's such a larger, um, such a larger threat than, than things we we've experienced with, with illness the past, I don't know, decade or so that, you know, we all, we also kind of at this point don't totally know what we're dealing with here. So, you know, with all the quarantining and everything, I mean, at least for me walking around New York, it's like people are, are really freaking aware <laughs> right now. Like right. they're just like looking around, they're looking you in the eye. Are you sick? Are you going to make me sick? Which is funny because <laughs> that's, that's something people in New York never do. You never totally. look at, you never look at somebody in the eye when you're walking down the street. Totally. And, and I mean, I, I, you know, I work from home half the time now, so I'm home this week, but I had to go in for an appointment today and it was like just Penn station alone, getting the train. Um, everybody was, was looking at each other and talking to each other. And I mean, geez, like usually they're just looking at their phones. So that was, and I actually think there's a little bit element of fear with, with our phones as far as hygiene right now too. Like, I think it might make people use their phones a little less because they might have washed their hands, but are their phones clean? 
Yeah, that's true. Well, I think Apple had like a recent thing talking about like how to disinfect your phone or something like that. They had a something on that. But it's funny you bring up the, the disconnection things. I think I've probably ranted on this a handful of times on the podcast, but talking about that being present and being focused and being intentional where we can get so caught up in our day to day that we don't see someone right in front of us that's that's maybe going through something, may just need someone to say hi to them. Um, the episode with Jason Tharp many moons ago, we had that conversation. Sometimes it's just being kind to people and saying hi and smiling. You don't need to have their whole life story. It's just being that that one smiling face that maybe they were pissed off all morning and your smiling face changed their day kind of thing. Um, I've been so aware of the things I do. Cause I, I used to catch myself like while I'd be having a conversation with someone and not that I wasn't interested in what they were saying, but all of a sudden like my phone vibrated. I was like, well, obviously I have to see what this is right now. Cause it's that important. <laughs> so you take out my phone and as they're talking, I'm like, I'm obviously not really listening to them. I'm like looking and typing and like looking up and just nodding like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then just still typing. I'm like, wait, what'd you say? What are you talking about? And it's like, now I've caught myself with, we'll have to, we'll have to go on video uh, once we get done so I can show you my tiny little phone, but my little phone now, I don't, I, I'm never on it. I never have a reason to be on it because it's too damn small for me to do much of anything on. So it gives me excuses. Like if I need to text someone, I can, but if I need to call someone, I can do that as well, but I'm not scrolling through the internet. I'm not you know, wasting time on Reddit or scrolling through social media, it's being a lot more intentional about what I'm doing. And I think that kind of wraps into all of it, really. And you talk about the <clears throat> the coronavirus stuff coming up is people are now being intentional with everything they do. They made our pastor made a joke at church saying, believe it or not, we do have bathroom or we do have soap in the bathroom. So you can wash your hands. Um, and, it's like, and I'm like, yeah, but you know, people are now probably thinking about that more, not that people, I mean, hopefully everyone that's listening to this podcast washes their hands after they go to the bathroom. Um, but if you don't, please, please let me know. So I don't shake your hand. Um, but you know, the idea is people are being more intentional of where's my phone been, you know, at looking around to who am I talking to? And do I have, I've been using hand sanitizer. I mean, keeping things clean. We're being a little more focused and keen. And because of that, we're putting the technology away. And we're kind of having that interaction with people. And like you said, things like 9-11 or when things like that happen, you you see how fragile life is and how not another moment is promised to you. And you can kind of you kind of put all of the superficial things away and kind of focus on what's most important to you. Well, yeah, you wake up. Yeah, 100 yeah, percent. And, you know, I mean, that's something I kind of learned um, you know, I learned it pretty early on with, with that happening when I was 25. And mm -hmm. it's interesting, I think too, that, uh, when you're talking, like what we're really talking about here is, is how we react in, in situations of uncertainty, right? Where, where something that feels like, uh, it's a crisis that's happening. It, it's sort of like, I think it just, it makes people maybe protect themselves a little bit more. Um, it makes them panic It makes them a little more afraid, um, I mean, I'm not by any means comparing a pandemic to, to losing my dad. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just talking about the shift that happens to you when, yeah. you, when you realize, you know, your worst nightmare can actually happen. Yeah. Um, for, for me, I mean, I, I can tell you, I don't know that I handled it the best way when, when, it, when it initially happened. Um, 
I had just finished college. I had just moved to New York for an internship at a magazine. And, you know, being 25, I was like, damn it, I'm not changing my life. <laughs> I, was like, I, I moved here for this. It was hard to get, like, I'm sticking it out. And, you know, I, I convinced myself, okay, well, that's what my dad would want me to do. So I really, what ended up happening, because it is so, you know, it is very competitive to try to, to get a job, um, a full-time job at a magazine in New York. Or at least that's how it used to be. Things are, are changing a little bit these days, but, um, and I don't mean cause it's easier. I mean, cause magazines are dying a little yeah, bit. What's uh, what's this magazine for these young kids that are listening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that, that, that's all right. Um, but, but, uh, you know, it was, but at the time we're talking like, you know, 17 years ago, it was a very challenging thing to try to make happen, especially, I mean, I wasn't coming from an Ivy league school. I went to university of Delaware, which is the good school, um, wasn't Ivy league. And, uh, you really had to stick it out. You had to know people, you had to be willing to, to shift a lot of different jobs. And, um, what ended up happening to me was, I basically channeled all of my grief and all of my anger about what had gone down into my career. Um, so I started living this life of like proving myself all the time, you know, of, of kind of saying to everybody, Hey, look, this didn't take me down. You know, like, like I, I still stuck it out. I can, I can still be an adult. Like basically all of my goals started becoming, I can prove that I can still be a normal adult. Mm -hmm. Like, tragedy doesn't have to define my life. And, and that was the reason that I never talked about it. I just like hit it. And, and the problem when you do something like that is you're not really dealing with the emotions that you actually have or the anger and they stay there. Like you're, you're just carrying them around and, and anything could happen that triggers it. And all of a sudden you're screaming at your boyfriend and you're like, I don't know why I'm screaming at my boyfriend right now. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So this doing this, what it, what it really meant for me, once I really got into it after I'd say about that first year, it meant, okay, maybe I'm freelancing now, you know, maybe I, maybe I'm not totally defining myself by this job, which is really what I did. I mean, every time I met anybody it was, Oh, I'm an editor at good housekeeping. Um, you know, so what? <laughs> right. It meant a lot to me back then. Cause that was like the thing that got me through this terrible thing that happened, but you know, that that's just a label, all, all the, you know, things like that. That's all they are. And you know, I'm married. I have five kids. Like, you know what? They're, they're labels. Um, what really matters is, am I good with me? You know, am I good with my faith? And am I good with, with, you know, I think you talk about this a lot on your podcast. Am I good with what I'm giving back to the world? And, you know, uh, after I got that big agent, um, in my first year, I was getting really, really excited about the possibilities of, of having a book. And my, my goal was to donate a, a large portion of the proceeds to distracted driving. Um, I guess really, you know, it started cause I was writing it for my new friends who had all lost somebody. And, uh, at the end of the year, we, after the proposal didn't work, which she was shocked by, you know, I wasn't totally shocked because none of the book had been written yet. Right. <laughs> You know, I mean, as, as a writer, I kind of would like it to sell based on my writing. Right, right, right. Um, but, but he was just so excited about it that he was like, let's do this now. Like, it's not, doesn't matter. And, you know, that that is something that people do now. They do sell things based on idea alone. Um, but it didn't work. And um, 
you know, I had to just sit there and do the work. I had to kind of lose everything in my life and, and, and just say that this really matters to me just because it does just because my gut is telling me I'm supposed to do this. And, and I remember one night, like I, you know, I don't do this very often, but once in a while, if I am particularly scared about list items, I'll kind of just, if I'm praying, like, I'll just say to my dad, like, Hey, why is this happening? Like, what do you want me to do here? And what I heard him say was it's about abundance, not scarcity. That's good. And you know, the way I made sense of that and, and you know, anytime I, and I'm sure this is going to sound a little woo woo for your listeners, but you know, anytime I hear a message like that from him, it's always very short. It's always like three, three words, four words, something like that. Um, you know, I've looked into it a little bit and I guess that's for spiritual stuff. That's kind of typical, but, um, what it meant to me when I heard that was, okay, so we're living in this kind of like consumerist society where people just have this, this belief that they have to get what's theirs, you know, and, and if someone else is getting it, there won't be enough left for them to have it, whatever it is, whether that's success or, you know, um, is satisfying their ego, whatever. Um, the reality is like, there's as much as you could possibly want of what you want for your life. Like, like it's just, it's just not real to think that you have to compete with other people to get certain things, to make certain things happen. And in fact, what actually should happen is you should be focusing on what you're giving and not what you can get. Mm-hmm. And I know you talk about that a lot, but you know, and I, I should, let me, let me backtrack a second. I don't want to say should, because I don't like telling other people what to do with their lives, I will. but yeah, I just, <laughs> I mean, cause that, that's just not my yeah. thing. Like, no. like I, I understand. This- cause that's your whole point too. Cause I remember when we initially had the conversation and I had made a comment about, you know, me being a distracted driver in more cases than not. The first thing you did was I'm not trying to advocate and tell you what to do and what not to do. And I think that's, I think that's a great way of going about it because it's saying you're, you're, you're speaking truths in people's lives. So it's not, these aren't false things, but you don't ever want to come off as pushy and, and, and that you know, you know best, you know all, my way is the best way. You don't know what you're talking about because all that does is shut people down. Yep. So when yep. you... Yep, and... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, please continue. I don't remember what it was, good. <laughs> oh, man. It's okay. It wasn't probably going to be life-shattering. Like, like. Oh, I told myself I wasn't going to get you off track. No, it's okay. <laughs> It's hard with yeah, the, we yeah. have like we have like a like a half a second delay. So it's it's hard sometimes because Zoom doesn't want to be exact sometimes. So sometimes it's a weird where it's like, is she gonna say something? I don't know, maybe, but it's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I mean it comes back to activism for me or advocacy because um I would say in the middle of year two of this, I kind of had to stop my advocacy because I, 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 it just wasn't genuine for me anymore. You know, like, like I couldn't stand in front of a group of kids and, and be like, my father was taken from me, you know, and, and, and this horrible thing happened and, and, you know, it shouldn't have happened and you need to change your behavior and blah, blah, blah. Like, like I just couldn't do it because it wasn't real for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what had started as a loss had become this enormous gift in my life. 
And, and the reality for me was that I was feeling his presence all the time. You know, I was, I was getting to have this incredible blessing of finding a way for him to continue in my life, which, you know, when I had just gotten married, I, I really very much needed because I had a lot of messaging of like, what is a messaging? I couldn't pronounce that for some reason. Um, I had a lot of like messaging from people about what I was supposed to do. You know, I was 38. I was was getting married a little bit of a later age, but that was just because, you know, we worked in publishing and we were poor. I mean, really that, that is why. Um, and, uh, I had just become this activist. I had just gotten my stuff published as a writer. You know, these things I've been working on for a long time were, were kind of starting to come to fruition. I had just become a runner. I had really started coming into my own a little bit creatively. And what I'm getting is like, you need to have a house now and you need to have kids now and you're running out of time. And, you know, it was a lot of pressure. It reminded me a little bit of some of the pressure I felt when I was finishing school and, you know, like, well, what are you going to do next? And you need to do this, you need to do that. So, you know, to find my dad's list, which really, was, you know, this crazy thing he came up with when I was a baby and my mom found an addresser and was, was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> like correspond with the Pope, <laughs> you know, you know, you just had a child, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's just, that's just who he was. He, he, it, I've come to learn. I didn't understand this when he was alive, but I've come to learn through actually several other lists of his that I've found in the past couple of years, always at like, you know, very opportune times that he was a very intentional person. Um, you know, he studied Napoleon Hill and, and, and these people who invented the idea of, of law of attraction and having a positive mental attitude. And, and that's, that's really how he lived his life. So um, to shift to doing something like that, instead of what was expected of me, I think probably made the huge difference because what I, what I kind of said was, okay, so I grew up with this idea that my dad was a bit of a dreamer and didn't finish anything and was always excited about the next new idea. And, you know, geez, I better not be like that because if I'm like that, then, then I'm irresponsible, you know, then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of living on the edge and that's not good. So I, I spent most of my life trying not to be him And it turned out that by leaning into being more like him and actually doing these things he wanted to do, um, I like healed everything (laughs) in myself that was holding me back. Like it turns out the things he wanted to do. Sometimes I love doing sometimes like, I didn't know I'd love golf. That doesn't make any sense. I I love (laughs) golf. Okay. Um, and, and it's cool because it's like, you know, trying novel things makes you more creative anyway. So, um, I mean, I guess, I guess the point I'm getting at is it it was this total life shift at 38, really not what I was supposed to be doing. Um, but because it was shifting my goals and, and how I was living, it just shifted everything else. And and it made me step out of myself really. Like it made me step out of my ego. It made me step out of this idea of, you know, there's a wrong and a right way of doing things. And, and I need to teach society the right way, you know, cause it, people don't like that. Like if you tell people, Hey, like don't smoke, you know, and you don't tell them why, or, you know, that's a bad example. Obviously. <laughs> 
I can't think of a better one. But, you no, know but, what I but mean. it makes sense. If you tell someone not to do something, the first thing you're going to do is going to be there. If yes. you don't tell them why, they're going to be like, I'm doing it. Period. But even, even if you do tell them why, even if you yeah. tell them why, or even if you tell them, well, here's what's going to happen if you do this, it just becomes like this guilty pleasure. And right. that's really not yeah. how my dad raised me at all. You know, shocker, right? Like this guy <laughs> who's intentional and, and really tried to be an original in his life, like raised his kids to think for themselves. But, but he did, he, he wanted us to be creative and he taught us to make our own choices. So for me to reconnect with that, you know, I mean, my hope is that at the very least, if I'm not, you know, my, like I said, my initial goal was the distracted driving thing, but, um, you know, I, th- I think this is bigger than that. And, and, and I hope that whatever sort of virtual worlds we're all sort of starting to live in these days, as far as like, you know, and I think, I think also politics is a little scary right now. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on that's making people say like, man, it's the end times, <laughs> you know, it's and, the end of days. I literally texted a buddy that today. <laughs> did you really? He will. It was nothing, nothing in any bit of serious. He's in Minneapolis right now. And I was like, how's the weather there? He's like sunny and warm. And I'm like, it's the end of days, man. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, I'm not, I'm not saying like live your life in denial. Like, like I'm not saying that stuff isn't real. Of course it's real. What I'm saying is that your, your perspective and your energy and the way you think about something has a huge impact on the result of what you do. I mean, I know you're, you already are well-versed in that because you talk about it all the time, but you know, it's like if, if I'm planning on running a marathon in two months and I'm thinking about how's that going to go? Like I'm picturing that race. Like I'm looking at that map. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, at this point, this is going to happen at that point. That's going to happen. I'm thinking about how I'm going to feel when I cross that finish line. Like there, there is a big benefit to visualizing how your life is going to turn out. And you know what? Sometimes things are going to get messed up and, and that's for your benefit too, because you'll learn something and sometimes they're going to go way better than you could have possibly expected. So a lot of this journey for me has been about embracing that uncertainty. And actually, you know, instead of saying, I think, um, Anderson Cooper did an interview with, uh, Steve Carell, like, a, I don't know, I want to say six months ago where they were talking about losing their parents. And, you know, one of them, I think Steve Carell said to Anderson Cooper, it's sort of like, if that happens to you at an early age, you think, Whoa, anything's possible. But the flip side of that is anything's possible, you know, like that's exciting. Yeah. Like that's a great thing. And and that means, I don't know if I'm, if I'm encouraging anyone else just to kind of go for it with something that everyone is telling them really seems just not feasible in their lives. I'll be happy because, because I don't know, I'm starting to feel like maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. And I was, I was I, I was writing notes as you were talking because th- that whole bit, I didn't want to interrupt. I didn't, a lot. No, I didn't want to interrupt a single bit of that. Cause it's, it's gold. Like, like, honestly, it's not, it's not just like I'm drinking my bourbon. My bourbon's gone now. So I probably need more. What? You're drinking bourbon. No, well, you're drinking bourbon. What? What did you say you're drinking? Yeah. Bourbon. Oh, cool. Yeah. I just, I was like, I was like, ah, oh, we'll just have some bourbon. Well, yeah. Anyways, that's a whole, that's a different story. That's not what I'm, that's not yeah, what I was. I, I love that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whatever. It's seven o'clock. As long as I'm not driving you to it. <laughs> exactly. As long as we're not driving, I'll take an Uber somewhere. No, uh, no. I mean, metaphorically speaking, oh, I'm not driving you to drink. There we go. 
No, you're not driving me to drink. I was drinking before this conversation happened. Um, <laughs> but that just, I just derailed myself. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. It's great. It. But yeah, so I was writing notes while you were talking about that. And we have, again, we haven't had, we had, we haven't talked about most of this stuff prior to, and I, I did that on purpose because I wanted us to actually have a real conversation, not just like a stage conversation for the audience. Um, but we both have this same kind of idea about conforming to, you know, we'll put it conforming to the ways of the world, if you were, or doing what is expected of us. I mean, I was the first grandson in my family to go to college. So I had this like super amount of pressure on that I put on myself that felt like, well, I've got to go to college and I've got to make sure I get good grades and then I've got to get a good job because obviously the only thing that matters in this world is getting a great job and making a ton of money. So I was like, you know where the money is? Finance. You know when I graduated? The fall of 2008 when the entire economy was crashing. So it's like, oh, this is great. We, we I remember our professor, professors literally saying, you may just want to stay in school for your master's degree because you're not going to get a decent job after this. I was like, oh, this is a, this is a great start. And if any, um, as a finance major, I should understand that more debt does not make sense at this point in time. Like, hey, you're not going to have a job, but you know what sounds great? More debt. Um, but the whole idea of like you have to do these things that everyone says. And, and once I got kind of out of that zone, I mean, I was living in South Florida. So it's like, you know, my friend's. I had friends that lived in a place that had a runway between the houses and they, their parents used to fly to the Bahamas every other weekend. And it would be like, Hey, here, here's $10,000 for the weekend. Don't spend it all in one place. Like that's the kind of life. That, yeah. It's it, absolutely. <laughs> that was not my family. We moved into the poor area of the town. <laughs> hey, um, hey, Jonathan, I yeah. hate to interrupt you. I have to get a charger real quick or else I'm going to run out of juice that's here. That's fine. So, sorry. Hold on one well, second. Hold on okay. a moment. Okay. Still there? Yeah, I'm still there. Okay, good. Just so you know, like I just told my husband that that was happening and he goes, Oh my God, (laughs) this is like his worst nightmare. (laughs) He seriously is like the most efficient person I've ever known in my life. And I'm so not. So (laughs) it's all right. Hey, you be you. That's what we, that's how we roll. You know, it's whatever. Okay. Anyway, please continue your story about your friends and the $10,000. Yes. Oh yeah. $10,000. And they had drug problems. Um, Oh, that's, that's a, obviously, (laughs) but the whole, I don't know why I even brought up that, but the, the, the community, yeah, the community I was in was kind of like, you need more, you know, most of my friends, because their families came from affluent backgrounds, like they were going to be doctors and lawyers and all this stuff. And they didn't have to worry about this, any of this stuff. I, on the other hand, was having to pay for school. Um, the last semester of my senior year, my dad had actually moved from, uh, West Palm Beach to Tampa. And in that process, he's like, well, you can just transfer. I'm like, dad, it's, I'm literally one semester away from graduating. It's not like high school. I can't just pick up and move. And mm-hmm. so I literally slept on a neighbor's couch, like a pullout couch. I lived in their office for the last semester of my senior year. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I, I've got to like do something. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be taken care of in the way that my friends are, which is, I think is a great thing. I didn't want to be in that situation. <clears throat> But because of that, it's like, you know, so that was happening there. And then, you know, once I got away from all of that and kind of, I like to say, get away from the crazy and got into the real world, I started doing that almost to myself. So I had that same carryover of they were influencing it. 
Um, now it says my oh, internet. I just, I just missed like your last like 10 words. I'm yeah, so sorry. No, it's okay. I literally just got a notification that says your internet connection is unstable. Zoom, I hate you. You're so <laughs> dumb. Gosh, this would be the best episode oh, ever. The People are going to love heard, listening to this. I, the last thing I heard was get away from the crazy. Yeah. So I, I say I get away from the crazy. And, and once I moved away from Florida, um, I started putting that stuff on myself. So first it was my peers doing it to me and kind of ingraining that in me. And then it was just kind of like my internal dialogue that I need more. I wasn't being good enough because when I moved to Ohio, I was moving to, with my then fiance and I, I just felt like I was useless like nothing I did was worth anything that she could do so much better. And I wasn't providing and I wasn't doing this. And, um, I really started to get down on myself in there and I started to get, I wouldn't say like, um, clinically diagnosed as depression, but like looking back on it, like that's a hundred percent what it was. Um, and kind of getting through that situation of just like, just not feeling good about me. And then fast forwarding, you know, we get married and the first thing people are telling us is, all right, when are you having kids? When is this happening? When is that happening? We're like, whoa, 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 like what, why do you have a say in any of this? And throughout the process, like, you know, we, we had a four bedroom house. It was the two of us and my 10 pound dog nine pound dog. I, I don't want to say 10 pound because if Kayla listens to this, she'd be like, she's not 10 pound. She's nine. Um, <laughs> I just call her a chunky monkey anyways. Um, the dog, not my wife. Let's make sure that's very clear. Oh boy. On, on the, <laughs> let's make sure it's very clear talking about the dog. Um, but we have, we have this four bedroom house, 2,400 square feet, this giant backyard, all of this stuff. And we're realizing we're not any happier than when we were when we lived in our apartment. And we're like, all right, what's, what's going on here? And then got introduced to minimalism and not necessarily the idea of just like getting rid of all your shit, but kind of being more intentional. The podcast, or the, what do you call it? The, what was it, a Netflix show or something? Yeah, 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 the documentary. Like, I think it's... The guys, I forget their names. Yeah, uh, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. Okay. I may have listened to a little too much of their stuff. Um, oh, my husband loves them. Oh, they're so great. I, I met them. They were yeah. actually in Dayton, shit, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago. And I met them there at a, a speaking engagement, which was really cool. Um, but these guys, there, it was nothing like overly profound. They were just the epitome of showing it where it's like, no, they both had very successful sales careers, making a ton of money and still not happy. And that's when I realized, like, wait a second. All I'm trying to do is climb a corporate ladder right now. Is that going to bring me any more happy? Is making an extra $15,000 a year really going to make me happier? It's going to make certain things easier, but then I'm going to have bigger, I'm going to have other problems. I'm going to have more money problems. So I was like, there's got to be a better way of doing this. So I started just selling a bunch of shit, getting stuff, stuff that was kind of bogging me down. You know, I, I talk about it with my photography and video and stuff like that. I, I would buy every gadget there was but I wouldn't use any of them. I felt like I needed them to, to be better, to be a better photographer or whatever the case might be. But I realized all it was doing was weighing me down because I had too many options instead of just using what I had. And then just started doing this like piece by piece in my life, getting these pieces away and then realized like, no, th those things aren't going to make me happy. I swear I'm getting to a point. I think I am. Um, but no, I love it. Keep going. It's, it's the idea of, having that, that intentional life of what's actually important and what I want to do. 
it's not what everybody expects me to do. Everyone else expected me to climb the corporate ladder and keep going. I just left my job, my old job, um, back in October. Yeah, it was October. Started a new job with, with the company for nine years. I, I mean, most of my job I automated. So half the time I was just sitting there not doing much anyways. I can say that now that they're not paying me. Um, <laughs> but now it's like, you know, now I, I say I work harder than I've ever worked in my entire life, but I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I think that's kind of the difference is a lot of people think um, with that dreamer aspect of, you know, you're not getting things done or you're not working. You're just lazy trying to go thing to thing. But it's like, no, you, you work hard for something that means something to you where the benefit may not be monetary. It may not be things people can see. I mean, and in that whole process, you know, obviously just left my job, but a year and a half ago, we sold our house. And now I live in an 1100 square foot apartment that we're even talking about maybe too big and we want to get a smaller place because we realize what's actually important in our lives. We've cut out when people are like, when are you having kids? We're not. So like not this year, like, no, we're not having kids. So like eventually, like, I don't, I don't think you understand the word not. We're, We're just not doing it. And it's because that's what we want to do. And again, not saying wrong with having kids, anyone that's listening that has kids. I mean, some people probably be like, man, I wish I would have heard this beforehand. Um, but the, the idea that you're doing something because somebody else says it's the right thing to do, or that's the course your life should go. I think that's the wrong reason to do anything. doesn't matter what it is. Um, whether it's a peer pressure item or something as simple as, is, I won't say simple as, but something like having kids or getting married or something like that. Just because it seems like it's the next logical step in the American dream doesn't mean you should do it. Um, I had a buddy that used to say, he's like, he's living the American dream. It was uh, graduate from high school, go to college, graduate from college, uh, get a good job, find a girl, get married, buy a house, get a divorce, file for bankruptcy, get a second wife. I think that was his American dream, like checklist. Um, it was bad that he was telling me this at his wedding because his, his wife didn't like that when he was bringing that up. Um, but it's that, it's that idea is we have the American way is to consume more, consume more, consume more. I think I've thrown like 15 different topic ideas out in this, this one little rant. But I think that the whole general idea is all we're about is consuming, consuming, consuming. And because that's what everything is feeding us, we feel like we need to be the most important thing, no matter the situation. Hence the reason why we're on our phones too much or on technology too much or, you know, checking for those likes or checking for those followers. Cause we want to, we want to feel like we're a part of it all, but not only that we're a part of it all, that we're, we're the most important thing of it all. Huh. What do you mean by the most important thing? I feel like it, we want, I want people to like what I do, but I also want to be the top priority of the things that they like. If they like multiple photographers, I want to be the top person of that. I want to be the first person people think of in those circumstances. So it's like, I want to set myself apart. Like I want to be on that pedestal, but I want to feel like I belong with the rest of the team. Like, yeah, like you were talking about the scarce scarcity thing in a way. Right. Yeah. The competitors. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, uh, on that note, um, what, what I was saying a little bit earlier was, you know, um, 
just to explain a little bit how, how I got to this line of, of reasoning when I had my first proposal not work out. Um, and, and just, just to be clear, like my agent is, was, was very good. You know, he wasn't like, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say what his name is, but he was actually really helping me. Um, and you know, he did really believe in this and, and he said, uh, okay, well now I need you to write a hundred pages. So I had a whole year there where I basically just put that whole, you know, quote unquote American dream aside. And my, my company made that a little easier for me by laying me off. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't performance based. I'd been there for seven years. It was, they had bought another magazine company that was failing. So they had business restructuring, but, you know, as I'm sure you can imagine, I was pretty shocked by it when it happened. And, you know, it was the weirdest thing. Like I was called down to HR and then like, I, I went into the elevator and, you know, this is in New York city, right? So the Hearst building has these like incredibly mirrored elevators. So everybody's always like doing, they call them Hearst selfies. Like they take a picture of themselves going to work and looking all like fancy. Um, <laughs> So I I remember I looked in the mirror on the way down and I had like the biggest smile on my face. Oh no, I'm sorry. Not on the way down on the way back up. Cause of course on the way down, I'm like, what the heck's going on? But after after I found out what was happening and you know, and, and it was just like, this is just what we have to do. Like we have to eliminate this department. Like my boss was laid off too. Um, I just looked in the elevator and I was smiling and I thought, this is weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is not the reaction I'm supposed to be having. Why is this happening? And you know, it, it was because it wasn't my ego. Like, mm-hmm. like my soul was thrilled because I had gone on this mission and, and I needed to be home to writing it. You know, I needed to be writing those 100 pages and yeah, it was a little out of the ordinary. It was not the way I planned it to go. Um, I knew that at this point, point. Okay. Well, this has just got a lot financially more difficult. Um, but okay. So I have a severance. So I'd been there a long time. So I I had certainly enough to have several months to work on this. So that's what I did. I had a whole year where, you know, towards the end, I started freelancing. This is, this is two years ago, by the way. And I should say that I have not had to look for work once since then. If anything, I've just had this abundance of freelance jobs. Like sometimes I've had like six jobs at once that like, I don't even know what to do with them. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the point is a year later, I gave those 100 pages to the agent. He didn't like them. He dropped me very quickly. Um, I was, I was devastated for, I guess about a week. Um, and, and at that point I had been through, I don't know, 20 list items and I just moved on. I, I just said, okay, this is a failure. Every, every list item is a failure before I succeed. I mean, you know, when I did run 10 miles straight, it was in the middle of the LA marathon and I peed my pants the whole time. <laughs> Seriously. Like I overhydrated because <laughs> I had a cough. So I had too much Gatorade, too many orange slices. And you know, I don't understand. I still to this day do not understand how my bladder had that much left in it after like eight miles. Like I really like spaced it out. <laughs> But that was like my first list item. And I was just like, okay, I get it. Very funny, dad. You know, and I mean, stuff like that has happened since. Like when I, when I went skydiving, um, I thought, you know, a lot of times I try to check off two list items at once. So I did skydiving and, uh, talk to a TV audience at the same time. So a TV reporter went skydiving with me. I puked in midair 
landed and the reporter's like, we have puke, you know? And I was like, please don't put this on TV. (laughs) Again, like what a failure, right? Like, but, but it's sort of like, uh, you know, and oh yeah. And the other thing I wanted to mention is a part of working with that agent was he was saying to me, okay, well, we really need to make sure we kind of keep you under wraps so that when the publishers are looking at your manuscript, they don't think like, oh, she's already been out there. You know, like, like we're not going to benefit from, from uh, promoting her if everybody knows about her. And, right. and you know, I've, I've since had some people say, oh, that doesn't make sense. But you know, sometimes people say it does make sense. But anyway, regardless of whether it made sense or not, that was like the best possible thing he could have said to me because what ended up happening was I had started this blog. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. My dog just wants to bark at somebody walking by. (laughs) Um, I had started this blog and this Instagram page and, you know, I had to make everything private and, and, you know, I would, I would think that typically if you were going to do something like that, you would be very concerned about, well, who's liking what? And, and am I, like you said, am I the best one? Am I the one everyone's looking for? Um, and that just removed it from the equation completely. So I had two years where I'm home writing and doing these list items and asking people to help, or, I mean, usually people volunteer help actually, but, you know, not worrying about who's watching this, you know, not worrying about like how many likes does this thing have? That was like tremendously freeing for me. And, and, you know, like what it came down to, particularly after my first couple tries not working with, with the book was, you know what, like, this is not about my ego. This is not about, uh, attracting readers. This is not about like even the activism anymore, because who knows if this is going to work, who knows if anyone's going to buy it. This is just, I have to do this. Like this is, I found this list for a reason. Um, I'm experiencing these like totally like life changing effects from it. And this is a story I have to tell. And, and, God, I'm going to tell this freaking story. <laughs> I'm really trying yeah. not to curse, but like I have it's, to. It's fine. It happens on this show. <laughs> most but of the really, time, like most that, times to myself. That's what it became. And I, I would, I would have to guess that, you know, like I said, I'm not saying shoulds about anything, but I would have to guess that if that is a person's motivation in life that they're doing something because they feel like they have to because they feel like it it's meant for them then all that stuff you're just talking about like goes out the window right and and i I think that if you're someone who is wrapped up in either fitting in and succeeding at at, you know quote unquote like adult rites of passage like you were you were mentioning uh then you're someone who doesn't know that or doesn't have that and and geez like at this point, I'm just kind of like, whatever happens with this, fine. Because how lucky am I that I get to have that, that I get to have that experience. And honestly, like a lot of the time when I do these items, particularly ones that are, that are daunting, you know, like going to talk with Jimmy Carter, that was pretty, pretty intimidating. Um, I'll just think to myself, okay, so my dad doesn't get to be alive right now. Um, how would he be enjoying you know, like, like, what would he be thinking about this? And what happens is instead of thinking like, Oh, you know, I don't know if I can handle this or, um, you know, well, what if this doesn't work out? What happens is I just think, 
man, being alive is awesome. <laughs> you know, right, like yeah. it's just some, for someone who's not anymore, it doesn't get to be, I mean, he still exists as energy and his spirit, but he's not in a body. I would think someone like that would be thinking, man, you get to do some really cool stuff when you're alive. Right. So it totally changes, um, uh, the perspective and, th- and the grat- gratitude. Yeah, for sure. I think you're super lucky that you, you, I mean, we'll, we'll say this, that you had to kind of hide those things away where we talked about like doing things for the likes and that sort of thing. Because I know this whole, this podcast itself, I made sure from the premise from my previous podcast that we kind of talked about earlier, um, is that that my old podcast, I was so worried about who was seeing the show. We, you know, we had certain schedules of how we were posting things on social media and making sure that we hit the right things and we had the right guest on and we were at the right places and we were, you know, hitting the right metrics, if you will. You know, I was looking at listener stats every single week, subscribers and all of this stuff, like just so, so overwhelmed with worrying about that and not worried about like, what do I want to get out of this? Like, why am I even doing this? And when I started this podcast, that was the whole idea is meeting people like you that have great stories. Initially, I was just going to like interview like runners or fitness people. And then I think I had like my second or third guest wasn't a runner. And I was like, wait a second, this is, this is bigger than, than just this, this whole idea of running your life with purpose and intentionality. I think it's so much bigger than, than just literally, you know, my tagline of running with purpose and having people like you on the show that kind of get to tell their story and tell your own little flavor of that intentional living. I mean, I'm sure you get it all the, maybe not as much anymore because things are, because things are going well. People usually don't tend to knock on you when things are going well, but I'm sure when you were, (laughs) when you were, you know, you you were only doing some freelancing jobs, trying to figure out where things were going to happen and what was going to happen. And people are like, well, why aren't you trying to get another big job? You know, you lost this job. You probably need to do this. I, I, this is probably not a smart idea to go write this book or, or follow these things. You know, the naysayers are out there again. They don't come out when you're doing well. They only come out when you're down, which is, you know, super helpful for people. Um, but I think showing your side of your intentional living and the journey you're going on and kind of your experience, like you said, is you kind of have to have that flip flip side thing of things are going to be difficult. Finding things, you know, getting these things done off your list are going to be difficult. Getting Super Bowl tickets and spending a ton of money on Super Bowl tickets is is not an easy thing to do. But then you have to think of, like you said, the flip side of the experience you're gaining from this and kind of the bigger picture of it all. Well, yeah, it's interesting when, when you say, um, doing well, right. Like I'm thinking like, well, what does that mean doing? Like, I think what you mean is, uh, uh, appearing to be secure, Mm. um, in your life financially. And my, my personal opinion now, after having gone through so much of this is that a lot of times we make the assumption that if we go for the things that are going to make us feel secure, we're going to be fulfilled and happy when really we're just going to have the illusion of being safe. Yep. So God, that's good. I need to, and that needs to be on a postcard. I'm going to make a t-shirt that says that. that I'm going to put, put your name right behind it. It's going to be like one of those I like probably, quotes. probably cribbed it from somewhere because I read a lot, but, um, <laughs> But, you know, what I've come to learn, and and I can tell you right now, this is absolutely Joseph Campbell and not me, (laughs) is that your wound is where your treasure lies. 
Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, to be totally honest with you, um, you know, I didn't tell you my entire background. My entire background is that when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with clinical depression and, um, you know, I was taking antidepressants from like, you know, age 17 on through, um, I would say by the time I was 24, I was on about like, uh, nine at one time. Wow. And actually like how to go to a hospital, like the week after my college graduation to get off of all of them, because I, I went to a different doctor who was like, this is, this is crazy. You don't need all of these medications, but you know, I mean, we're talking about like early 2000 when, when this was a very trendy thing for people to do, like just the over medicating. Right. Um, I, I left on just a low dose of one and I'm still on a low dose of one today, but, um, you know, my, my point of sharing that is just that when someone is diagnosed with something like that at a very young age, they're kind of taught to be afraid of themselves. You know, I mean, they're, they're being told, okay, you have depression, which is in your brain, which means, you know, um, you can't really trust yourself. Uh, you got to limit the stressful things in your life. Cause who knows if you're going to like go into an episode, um, you know, what, what ended up happening, at least in my case was, you know, I'd always been kind of a high achiever, but I, I really just channeled it all into accomplishments and into work and, and, and not in a way that was like, I want to do something original and great. It was more, I just want to be seen as normal. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, I don't want to, I don't want to screw myself up. I don't want to like sabotage myself just because I have this thing that makes me different. Right. You when, don't, you don't want that yeah. thing to define you. Right. Of course. And, and, you know, as, as I think, I don't, I don't know, who knows how many people, I don't want to say most, but who knows how many people come to this experience, but a realization, but, uh, you know, of course that that's not the truth. That's not how it is at all. The, the reality is the thing that makes you different is what is wonderful about you. Um, you know, I also was diagnosed with ADD at that time. And, and I would argue that doing, I would argue that having ADD is actually incredibly beneficial for trying to get 54 items done in four years. <laughs> well, I, it, it just is. Yeah, I, I agree with that. After, after one's done, I'm like, what's next? <laughs> yeah. Let's get the next one. That's like me in these stupid States. I'm like, oh, I'll just, let's just get another one. Done. Oh, well, you, what the hell? as well? No, or I wasn't. Just I'm, I'm just, I'm a special kind of stupid is what I like to say. <laughs> Jeez. That's okay. I say it. So it's, it's allowed. Well, I mean, a hallmark of ADD is that you're creative and you thrive on, on high stimulation um, experiences. And, you know, my dad I used to say that that's how he was. And, and, you know, that I'm like that too. And, you know what? Like, that's great. Like we need people like that. We need creative people who, who do well in highly stimulating situations, like great things are made that way. Mm -hmm. And that never should have been something I was hiding. That shouldn't have been. And, and a lot of, you know, I, I don't want to like talk, tell the whole story here, but a lot of what I found as I started getting into the writing process was I was really facing those, those things about myself because I'd spent so many years of my life just filled with this sort of, I don't want to say self-doubt because I did believe in myself. Um, and I knew I had a lot of perseverance because I had, you know, clearly because I'd gotten out of that uh, therapist situation and, and moved to New York like a year later. And I had somehow survived this thing happening with my dad. So I, I knew I had that, but um, it was more like, okay, 
I, I was only going to aim for a certain level in my life, which was like, Oh, let's be cautious here. Like let's, let's not reveal there's something too different about me. Mm-hmm. And, and doing this project has really just forced me to, to let those things come to the surface because there, there are times with these list items where it's like, you know, my perspective is, okay, what can I do? Like, like what strength do I have that, that can help me to check this one off? And, um, I think it, the reason it's affected, uh, how I relate to other people, you know, particularly people I'm close to the reason it's affected that differently as to how I, my relationships were before is that I approach them as a student and I approach people, you know, with this openness and when with this, you know, willingness to look stupid in front of them and a willingness to fail and, and just saying, you know, it's vulnerability is yeah, what it is. That's, and, I've and, never and, thought about it like that, like looking at yourself as a student and just asking, asking the questions and not being afraid, like you said, to, to look stupid in those situations. And I mean, I think, you know, I know Brene Brown talks about it a lot, but, but I think she's right. That is something, um, well, you know, obviously a lot of people think she's right or she wouldn't be as successful as she is. <laughs> um, but she is, I mean, there's a, we have a lot of structures in our, in our culture right now that help us to hide and, and that help us to, to present a persona. And, and, and it's always interesting to me, this whole like authenticity, you know, reality show culture we're living in that, that of course isn't real at all. It's like, like we, I feel like I've read articles about this. Like, like we want this feeling of authenticity and realness, but we don't actually want the real (laughs) realness. Like we don't want to see like the real, the real tragedies and and everyday mundane things that people are going through. So, I mean, speaking of um, which the bachelor starts in seven minutes for anyone. Yeah. I don't watch that. I have, I have a friend at work and all she does is she, she kind of gives me recaps on it and I'm like, don't care. I don't care. Uh, no, I mean, I get it. I get it though. I mean, because I, it's, I'm sure it's really, I mean, I watched, I watched it when it first came out yeah, and I watched and it the real really world and stuff like that, but it's, it's one of those things where it's it, like you said, it's, we want, we want the perception of, of authenticity, but we don't actually want it to be there because we, we don't want to be able to predict exactly what's going to happen. Or, right. maybe, or maybe we do, maybe we want to predict and that's what makes it non-authentic. Wait, so right, say that one more time. I, I feel like I'm trying I, to, got lost. I, I think I got lost saying it. <laughs> you did too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to think cause like maybe, maybe the reason we do want that is because we want to, to feel as though it's authentic, but we also want to feel like we saw something coming almost where it was where we've kind of got this. We, we know how the story plays out because I'm sure every single season of these kinds of shows plays out the exact same way. So we know what's going to happen. So we want it to feel like it's authentic and real and new, but at the same time, we don't want to feel surprised or taken back from it. Well, I mean, that's probably just like some kind of survival technique or something that that we like to have predictability, um, in our lives, whether that's through our own life or through watching somebody else's. But, um, I mean, I think what I'm talking about is like, uh, if you, if you really are going to go on some kind of a journey in your life where you're learning something, you have to actually let yourself lose everything. Like you, you can't just like be on Instagram and be like, Oh, look at my adventures. And you know, I'm a bucket list person. So I, I'm really living light, like living your best life. Like 
I have a real aversion to, to that phrase because I've had people say that to me. And I think like, huh, my dad was killed by a driver on her phone. And that's why I'm doing this. Is that living your best? Life? <laughs> right. You know, like, is, is that really what this, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm trying to be authentic and, and present and, and enjoy life in a way that my dad can't anymore. So in, in that case, yes, that's true. But, but it, it's, it's about like, like, you know, your whole thing, it's about having purpose for me. It's about, you know, um, I think it's, uh, I think Gary Zukov is the writer that Oprah talks to a lot. And, and he says, uh, I'm trying to think exactly how, how it went. Something, something to the effect of like, um, you know, your, your soul is sort of like a, a big mothership, right? And then your personality is like a little boat. And, and when you're happiest in your life is when your little boat is, is right behind the big mothership like, or the cruise line or whatever. That's mm-hmm. it's really poor choice of words given. Coronavirus, but, um, <laughs> but you know, nobody wants to be around a cruise ship right now. Cruise but, ships uh, are tanking. You get, no you, you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah. like when you have this sense of alignment with my, like what, okay, what, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know how spiritual your listeners are, but obviously I'm very spiritual. Um, what God made me to do and gave me these particular eccentricities or gifts or or whatever, or even some of my flaws, like what I have to work with here, as long as I can line that up with my soul, with, you know, what makes my soul fulfilled, then, then I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. And I think that, that, that generally is what people want and it requires letting go completely. So, you know, I reached a point at the end of year two where you know, I hadn't submitted the 100 pages yet, but I had injured myself pretty bad playing tennis. And, and that list item was actually beat a number one seed at tennis. So I, I was pretty, uh, pretty ambitious with that one. Like I, I went out the first day thinking I was going to do it immediately because I played tennis in high school. And instead, like I pulled a tendon, mm-hmm. a tore a tendon in my foot. And uh, I had to get foot surgery. I was away from running for a year. Um, I had to like be on a couch for a month. Um, I had to take Percocet. It was, you know, it was, it was pretty dark. <laughs> and I really was just like, man, I am, I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> there there it is. Woo-hoo. Like, what the hell did I think I was doing yeah. with this? You know, like clearly I, I'm going to run out of money soon. I, I can't go in and work right now. Like that's how it works when you freelance. Like if you're not there, you don't get paid, right. you know, and, uh, I can't even walk. Um, I feel like I had like five other things I'd lost to that I get into right now, but you know, it just at my absolute lowest. And I actually said out loud, like to my dad, like, why? Like, why did you think this was a good idea? Because um, I've lost everything. This is too hard. And Ellen, and meanwhile, my husband had become a runner and was like coming back after all this runs and being like, oh, look at my VO2 max. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm trying to be supportive. Yeah. Um, and it's so crazy because like right at that moment, I'm not even kidding, like a couple minutes after I like had this, you know, come to Jesus moment where I yelled out loud, I get an email from my dad's brother or Facebook message who I almost, you know, never talked to. It's like, Hey, I just got an email from your dad's old roommate. Um, and, and he found this newsletter that he made 40 years ago, 
Um, he wants to know if any of his kids might want it. I told him a little bit about your mission and, and I thought maybe uh, you'd like to talk to this guy. Like this guy was just cleaning out his desk and yeah. found this at huh. the same time that I said that. And what it turned out to be was, uh, I guess right after uh, my brother was born, which is two years after I was born, two years after the list was written, my dad made this thing called a, a sports and leisure club newsletter. Like he wanted, he wanted to create this almost like Facebook um, in 1980 for all of his friends and, and family and hmm. like update everyone on like what's going on in people's lives. So-and-so just had a baby, like so-and-so was working at the, the factory and, um, and then he wanted to like organize, um, you know, uh, sporting events, like they could all get a discount or something if they went to this one baseball game or, or everybody should go to a cocktail hour and, you know, watch, football. Like he just, he, he wanted to create community mm-hmm. essentially. And I just thought, okay, first I was kind of like, Oh, that's annoying. Like I just got injured from tennis and I'm like, I can't do this. And this is what shows up, you know, cause I thought, okay, maybe that's just this humor again. But then I thought like, okay, it's going to be all right. You know, like, like I think what you said is accurate. Like I am building community doing this and that really is what my dad was all about. And that really is like, you know, what, what life is all about. It's, it's not about like competing with everybody and trying to be the best and trying to get the most. Like, it's just about what, what can I give? What can I do to make this life easier for everybody around me? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think things like that happen in our lives sometimes to kind of make us take that step back to kind of be like, well, okay, let's like, let me, let me reevaluate why I'm doing what I'm doing. Not that whatever you're doing is wrong, but it kind of reinforces that why I tell people all the time, especially from like a, a church standpoint sometimes is, you know, I don't, I don't want people that don't believe what I believe to to not want to talk to me or, or, or that sort of thing because I like my faith being challenged because that's how faith continues to grow. Like I, I question everything now. And again, it's like, it's those situations where it's, it comes back and you go, okay, that makes sense. And it just makes me more, um, more aware of why I believe what I believe. Yeah. I mean, thank, thank God that happened to me. You know, thank, mm-hmm. thank God I got injured playing tennis. Right. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been saying this like a year, two years ago. How was that two years ago? No, sorry. A year ago was when that happened. Um, but it, it, you know, and I think we talked a little bit about this earlier, but it forced me to let myself, let my husband help me, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did not do well with that, um, at all. And he's actually really excellent at taking care of people who are sick. He just is. Um, and it it really was eye-opening. I didn't know how how much I had forced myself to be self-sufficient all the time. I didn't know how much of my identity um, existed in that. And it was just another level of opening up. And, you know... You just, you have to let people help you and you have to allow yourself to express things. I mean, it it really, it all just comes down to vulnerability. Like, you know, and I guess at this point, it's sort of like, I'm just so much more motivated by love than I am by fear. Mm -hmm. 
That's so good. I think that's a good way to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's why we're running together in two months. So yeah. I never, I never would have done that before because yeah. I just was like a solo runner. Yeah. It's crazy how running, running's an interesting thing because he's running. So you're doing the 21, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Both of those races are stupid, Hilly. I know. He actually know. gets, he actually gets the best part about it because he gets the, the first five that are downhill. No way. They're not all downhill, are 100%. they? 100%. The fir- oh, the f- build up momentum. Well, that, the, the momentum, but it also murders your quads absolutely murders them it, because you just you just to get beat it's not like a steep downhill but it's just enough downhill that you're just like beating your quads up beating your quads up and then you're like oh wait now i need to start climbing and you're like crap yeah it's it's an interesting <laughs> it's, one it's, it's funny because my tendon the one i injured actually made it harder for me to go downhill so this this might just end up being the perfect race for me to st- <laughs> to start with again <laughs> At least psychologically speaking. Right. You just get through it and be like, yes, this is it. That's all right. You'll climb, you'll climb hurricane point and hate life. So. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was watching your video again, like the way I found you in the yeah, first yeah. place. And like, I love like your face in the beginning was so funny because you had like two hours to wait before you started. And I was yeah. like, Oh, right. I remember that feeling yep. um, where it's like, you know, I just want to do this. And like, they make you wait in the dark, you know, and, and yeah. then I realized like, Oh wait, that's so my life right now. <laughs> like I'm yeah. working on this book proposal and like, who knows what's happening next. And I'm like, I just got to wait it out. But then like you totally captured the part, like 10 miles in where you're just smiling and you're, you were just like loving life. And, and you totally had like the runner's high happening and you're like looking at the waves and I'm like, yeah, see, like, that's why, that's why I do this. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's a good metaphor to it is you, sometimes it's dark and you don't, you don't see where it's going to go. You don't know what the next step is going to be, but you just trust it. You trust, trust the path that you're on and the work that you're putting in, knowing that the reward is, is a part of that journey. You know, I've talked about that. I think I talked about like on a goals episode or something where, you know, the end thing is great. When you get all these list items done, you're going to feel pretty accomplished when you get the book done. It's good. You're going to feel really accomplished. But I think, from my opinion, the journey of doing it all is kind of going to be the best part of it all. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. And, and you know what? It's even doubly exciting because my dad's experiencing it too. Yeah. Through me. Um, and you know, he used to say to my brother and me all the time, you are the best thing I've ever done. He, he, I mean, it was like a catchphrase almost. He said it so much. Mm-hmm. So, so in a way I feel like he did finish the list because he raised a daughter who wants to do all this. Yeah. That's good stuff. All right. How can you minister? You're really good at this stuff. Um, I don't think I'm that good at a lot of things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) no, no, I sense this, like this preacher feel to you. Like you're just, you're just, you're very uh, good at motivational speaking. I think. Well, I, that that's, I appreciate that. I think you're the only person that's ever said that to me, like motivational wise, but no, I think, I think, I think, what's changed in me, which I'm a complete introvert, which is hard to to realize in some cases. But I think with this whole idea change of being comfortable with who I am 
And, you know, I don't have to wear certain clothes. I don't have to act a certain way. I don't have to do certain things just because that's what society says I should do. It's kind of given me this freedom to be like, no, you are who you are. And yes, you should continue to get better. Don't settle for any mediocrity, um, but just be you. And that's why, I mean, um, I'm unapologetically honest some cases where it's just like, this is, this is what I believe and this is it. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. If you think what I'm saying is bogus, that's cool too. Just don't listen to me. That's, that's as simple as it is. I mean, especially with, it's a podcast, turn it off, turn it off. If you didn't like listening to me, or you can just mute it every single time I'm talking. when Laura's talking some, you know, very, uh, amazing things, you can just listen to that. It's better than my part anyways. <laughs> I mean, I mean, my, uh, well, thank you, but, um, you're, you're facilitating and bringing it out of me and you're, you're great at it. Um, but what, what I was going to say is I, I, for me, it's more like, uh, you know, my mom has this phrase that she says about, uh, living by your beliefs. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if, if anything, if I can inspire people to live by their beliefs, that's great. As long as they don't believe it's cool to murder people, Yeah, you know, well, good but if you're it. also like, if you're teaching people that there's probably a bigger issue. You know, like to follow yeah, that probably. belief. You may want to, you may want to reword some things if that's kind of the idea that's getting thrown around. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I couldn't think of where I should draw the line there. But. <laughs> I mean, you went right for it. So I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I'm just saying you went well, for I it. I just see someone be like, oh, live by your beliefs. Huh? What if I believe I should go do this? Yeah. People, people sound like they taste delicious. Um, I got, <laughs> I wasn't going for cannibalism, but Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that was too far. The killing people was okay, but we can't eat them. Oh no, I was saying that's not okay. Oh okay. I said as long as you're not, your belief isn't murdering people. Right? No, that's what. I, never mind. Never mind. Oh no, no, no. I get it. I get okay. it. <laughs> people are like, this shit took a turn real quick. Yeah. Like yeah, this is this is now a new episode, guys. Welcome to the show where we talk about things people shouldn't do. Um, how can people get in touch with you or follow along on your journey? How, uh, give them all the details. So, um, my website is called myfatherslist.com. I just thought, you know, simple, easy. Um, I typically put behind the scenes stuff on there. And if you want to see me in another interview or something like that's going to go on there, my everyday photos are on, um, Instagram, uh, just at my father's list. I'm on Facebook too, but I tend to find people use Instagram more these days. Yeah. That's where all the cool kids are doing stuff now. I've been told that in uh, TikTok, but I haven't gotten on the TikTok train because I don't want to be addicted to my phone any more than I already am. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like to dance. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> not gonna make, I feel like I'm not going to make a list item dance video, but who no. knows? Hey. anything's possible. That's true. You never, you might find another list and it's like use TikTok to make dance video. And you're like, he was so ahead of his time. (laughs) You're like, I need to find out who created TikTok because I think they saw this list first. What is this TikTok? I'm thinking (laughs) 1478, but that sounds like a good name. This sounds like a thing that could be a hit. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, that'd be nuts. I think we're done. I think, yeah, I think this is the case. So this is where we cue the outro music and start through that process, I think. When's your next race? Boston, maybe? Bo- knock on wood, pending COVID-19. We'll see, right. how, we'll see well, how that goes. But uh, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, Laura, for being on the show. I'm, I'm really, really glad we had this conversation. I'm probably going to have you on the, guest, on the show again because it was amazing. 
Oh, thank you so much. I'd be happy to come back. Awesome. Well, everyone else, you can reach out to me everywhere on social media at flores.run. Again, assuming that Facebook and Instagram allow you to message me still. Um, You should subscribe and leave a review for the podcast. The reviews help the whole algorithm stuff so people can find the podcast. Um, you know, if you find things like this helpful, or if you know someone that's like, Hey, they have a cool story, or, you know, maybe you just need to talk some sense into them, you know, send them my way. I have no problem talking to people, but you can visit my website at www.flores.run. Thank you so much for listening today. Remember to keep running with purpose one step at a time, and we'll see you next week.